0: Aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name's Michael Benner, your host each week for this class about metaphysics and mysticism. That's what mystery schools are. They go back to time out of mind. As long as we have history, we have mystery schools in the East and the Middle East and uh, the West. Even the so-called New World from the European point of view, the the Americas, well, the indigenous people in this uh, western hemisphere uh, had their wisdom traditions as well. And um, as a journalist, this is something that I stumbled into in my mid to late 20s. And I became fascinated in this, uh, well, Aldous Huxley called it a perennial philosophy. Uh, the idea that there's a consensus uh, in philosophy. And and uh, that really blew, blew me away, because in, in high school and college, what little exposure I had to philosophy, I don't know about you, but um, it was sort of like believe whatever you want. <laughs> you know, the Church always had its authority. It It said things were the way they are, and And that's the way they are, because we said so, we're the church. Philosophers were sort of, well, we sort of think maybe this, and this is reasonable, and that would fit if this is true, and yet whatever worked for you, you know, whatever you believe in. Then, then, after being exposed to philosophy in that way, whatever you think is cool, I began to realize, no, there is a consensus. Uh, particularly in, in this field that is called mysticism. it's Don't get me wrong, it's not a religion. It's, we're not talking about a world religion. It's, it's really just the bare bones of a skeleton about a human's relationship with his own soul and the soul's relationship then with the cosmos. And, again, it's found in every culture, in every society, to some extent, and is largely experiential. That's as much of an overview as, I mean, every three or four months, I do a little overview, so there you go. Just in case you wonder, what the heck's a mystery school, and what is the mystery, and what is mysticism? And when Michael says the mystery is in the middle and the secret is in the center, And it's all about the heart and the soul, both words that mean center or middle. What's he talking about? What is this pursuit of the grail, if you will, same thing, of the ageless wisdom? And um, so that's what we talk about. And uh, this week, again, pulling on the Thursday night video conference that we do, That's at uh, 7.30 West Coast time, uh, 10.30 East Coast time, but pretty much all of our participants are in the West. And um, so we started talking about, well, what are we really afraid of anyway? I mean, look at all the words we have for our personal fear. We call it stress. We call it anxiety. We call it worry. We call it nervousness. We have words like apprehension um, and colloquialisms like the willies and the cold sweats and the heebie-jeebies and so lots of names for fear and plenty of experience being, well, <laughs> if not afraid, then just a little concerned, you know, we deny our fear, we we don't want to be seen as weak uh, or sissies. And so we'll deny that a little fear is still fear. You know, we'll say, no, men especially, oh, no, no, I'm i not afraid, obviously. We're in a difficult, challenging business situation. And uh, given the adversarial nature of the market, well, you know, but I'm not really afraid, I just have my concerns. Well, okay, my point is a little bit. Of fear is still fear by any name. Anxiety and stress are probably the two primary synonyms and there are some clinical technical differences. Fear is supposed to be a response to danger but it could be real or imagined danger and usually is things unknown. And clinically, then, anxiety is more of the confusion rooted in the dysfunctions of your childhood issues, and uh, maybe something you brought in genetically, a certain predisposition in terms of a personality or a talent or a gift, something positive or negative, a lot of double-edged swords, but... uh, anxiety, fear, for me, they're all pretty much the same thing. And the process of being confused and feeling afraid, which generates more confusion and more scary feelings, that vicious cycle I call stress. So fear, anxiety, stress, I guess the big three. Um, I'd like to point out that in a very important concept, and rarely discussed, that everything that hurts us emotionally is rooted in fear, anxiety, or stress, fear by any name. Let me say that again. Everything that hurts you emotionally, even your apathy, (laughs) uh, really does hurt. It creates a kind of a numbness. And emotional numbness aches. It's a bit of a paradox. Uh, if you're numb and not feeling because you're psychically or emotionally numb, then that wouldn't hurt. Well, yes, it does. There, <laughs> There is an ache. There is a pain that goes with not feeling. All right. Reflect on that. Make a mental note to, at some point point in the not so distant future, maybe give that a little bit of thought. Everything that angers you, everything that hurts you, that upsets you, uh, any uh, hatred or animosity that you have, any need for vengeance, uh, just any general nastiness that may be going on for you, a a need to, to attack, uh, usually disguised as uh, defensiveness. I'm saying if it's not positive, if it's not love and joy and happiness and, and peace of mind, if it's disturbed or or hurtful in any way, or an upset, in any way negative or painful or uncomfortable, it's rooted in fear. It's rooted in stress or anxiety, or nervousness, or worry, which essentially is things unknown. That's what fear is. You know, there is such a thing as the fear of danger, but it's so exceedingly rare. Driving on the freeway is probably the most dangerous thing you do. Um, the bathtub in your in your home probably one of the most dangerous places that you could be probably even more dangerous than the freeway not dark alleys where strangers are going to rob you and and beat you up, that's really not where you're in danger, but fear again is more, even if it seems to be about the danger I'd argue it's rooted in what you don't know about the danger or what you don't understand about the appearance of the danger. And in that way, fears less about danger than things unknown. How many times have you asked yourself or been in a conversation with someone who says, well, what are you really afraid of? And you say, I don't know. That's the thing. I, <laughs> if I knew, I, I, I probably wouldn't be nearly as afraid of it. Indeed, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, knowledge is the antidote to fear. Uh, Personally, I like the word understanding uh, even better than knowledge, but. I'm not going to mince words here. Knowledge or understanding is the antidote to fear if fear is rooted in, born of, and supported by confusion, ignorance, a lack of awareness, and things generally unknown. Hey, Bill, what are you worried about? I don't know. You're worried, though? Yeah. A lot? Constantly, over and over. What are you thinking about? All the different ways my life could fall apart. Really? Why are you doing that? Well, I do that to feel safe. You look at all the things that could go wrong and dwell on that worry cycle as a means of feeling safe, And Bill says, yeah, most people do, you see. It's crazy. It's backwards, I know. In fact, if Bill were here and I went a little further with him, I might say, well, if feeling afraid is your approach to creating safety, why don't you just feel safe? and let go of all the heartache, and all the hurt, and all the pain, and all the suffering, and all the confusion. And he said, because if I allowed myself to feel safe, I'd feel unprotected, and that would be frightening. Wait a minute. Feeling safe frightens you? Yeah. And so, your approach to safety is to embrace perpetual fear, and a and sense of danger, and confusion, Yeah, worry is my friend, (laughs) you see. Do you do that? Of course you do. You have. If you don't now, you have. If you don't now, there was a time that you did. As upside down and inside out as that kind of thinking is, it's difficult to even explain that. (laughs) if you understand the concept that I'm expressing here try and explain it to somebody it'll help you understand it even better but you'll see the challenge and it's fun to watch the confusion in your friend's eyes when you point this out what kind of strategy is this? especially for a mind that is cybernetic that is Functioning as a as a feedback loop that that is self-adjusting and self-correcting, like a heat-seeking missile or you know so-called uh, a smart uh, bomb. Sorry to have to use military and explosive <laughs> examples. Uh, a thermostat on the wall is a cybernetic device. It reacts and responds to its environment. That's what cybernetics is. That's all that is. And computers make that possible, but even simple little, little simple bimetal strip in a thermostat that knows one to turn on the AC and one to turn that off and idle and one to turn the heater on. How does it know? <laughs> it's like the thermos. Keeps hot, hot. Keeps cold, cold. How does it know? Well, actually... A cybernetic device is any device that reacts or responds to its environment, and humans are like that. That's why uh, Maxwell Maltz wrote a real popular book, uh, tens of millions of copies in print for decades, called Psycho Cybernetics. The idea is we go where we look, we get what we put our attention on. Um, We reap what we sow. That's probably the classic allegory. Christ himself used that one. Okay? That whatever you sow, you shall reap. Cause and effect. Karma. Uh, The golden rule. In relationships, it's the golden rule. Why treat others as you'd like to be treated? Because you will be treated as you treat other people. Whatever you put out in the world is what you're going to live in the midst of. We're assembling our realities. There may be something objective out there, but it's not likely we'll ever know because we're so involved in assembling our own version of reality and then wondering why somebody else's version of what's going on right here, right now doesn't match yours. You know why can't we agree? If I if I measure if I weigh here, get out the tape. Yeah, that's 18 inches. Yep, weighs exactly three pounds. Okay. We want to live in that kind of objective world where everything can be empirically reduced to number and quantity, and you can't do that because there are qualities that don't. Um, that don't work in that way. How, how, how do you how do you quantify love, for example, or kindness, or emotional sensitivity, or beauty, for that matter, um, the qualities of the heart? Uh, how do you reduce that to number or ratio? You don't. So, at the root of it. Our discussion today, what are we really, really afraid of? To define fear as anything you don't understand, then all fear is fear of the unknown. We use it oddly, bizarrely and strangely, as a crazy kind of strategy to create safety. we We put ourselves, we lock ourselves in perpetual anxiety if not fear, at least call it anxiety. In spite of what that anxiety does to us, the way it degrades our intellect, the way it degrades and attacks and debilitates our emotional nature, our physical nature, and our spiritual nature, as well as our ability to think clearly for ourselves, stress attacks us on all levels. It is the essence of of, uh, illness. That's why we call illness dis-ease, because it has a stress component. And what is stress? It's things unknown. I'll tell you what else it is. Fear, stress, anxiety, things unknown in your life constitute evil what's what evil is and it's fear and ignorance at work when you start massaging that concept when you start contemplating that everything that's wrong with the world is rooted in ignorance and fear then you change the way you look at solving it you start looking at how can I oppose uh, ignorance and fear and oddly you can't really oppose ignorance and fear because it's an ignorant thing to do and it would be scary (laughs) So. To oppose ignorance and fear is to come from ignorance and fear. It's a catch-22, I guess. You can't really oppose it. We, we need a better model than good conquering evil. What you can do is redeem it with understanding, as Emerson said. Knowledge, understanding is the antidote to fear by any name stress, worry, doubt nervousness and all of the mental confusion again and emotional lack of control and uh, spiritual hunger and craving poor values, lack of ethics little empathy that we suffer all as a result of believing there's some benefit in being afraid be afraid, be very, very afraid. Now, our government, nine, almost ten years ago, declared a war on terror. The Obama administration officially ended the war on terror, and they're handling terrorism in a multilateral way as a primarily a police issue. And... Um, That makes sense because to declare war on terror is to declare war not on an army, not on a nation, not on a territory, but to declare war on a tactic. And the war machine in Europe and America did this because it's a setup for perpetual global war. A war on terror is obviously a war that can never be won. It's like nuclear war, and that nuclear war can never be won. But the problem is, nuclear war can never be fought, either. A war on terror, you can not win. You get to have it forever, generating profits for you. If you're a Halliburton, if you're a Blackwater... If you're General Dynamics, General Electric, Boeing, Lockheed, Grumman, Northrop, all the big Raytheon military contractors that exist, that thrive on war and the preparation for war. You know our military budget is bigger than (laughs) the rest of the world combined. Uh, Our Navy alone. Is bigger than all of the navies of the world. Combined. It's just outrageous. And of course, we're the ones out there fighting all the wars and, and uh, killing people, and our guys, the Americans, have to die. And supposedly, it's all about patriotism and the flag and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and fighting for freedom. And no, there's this big war machine that conscious people see. It's driven by profit, and it's driven by power, and it's driven by fear and ignorance, and it's evil. And the way to oppose it is to, again, the first plus you might say, well, we have to oppose fear and ignorance. And Again, uh, I understand the feeling. We want to vanquish ignorance. I mean, how do you kill ignorance? How do you oppose it? and and fear. How do you eradicate that? If you threaten your enemy, you make them even more afraid. You know, another thing that's crazy about this war on terror is that our government, particularly during the Bush administration, was frightening us. The Republican Party is doing that now as a tactic to get back into office. The Newt Gingrich video that was released a couple of weeks ago, be afraid, be very, very, very afraid. These these, Islamic fundamental terrorists are coming for your children. They're having babies in America that that are gonna be citizens and then they'll be trained to be terrorist babies and brought back and and it's like the governor of Arizona and her headless bodies out in the desert that don't really exist. The fear and the hysteria that that's being used and has always been used to confuse people that aren't well informed. So obviously information and knowledge, understanding is the 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 sword or the weapon we would wield to eliminate fear and ignorance, anxiety and confusion in other words you don't you don't kill ignorance and eradicate fear in that way, uh, Christ said it, Buddha said it, you love your enemy, what does that mean? you you hug your enemy and you, you date his sister and uh, all is forgotten? No. It means stop scaring them. Stop frightening them. Stop threatening them. Right? Stop frightening. And then you don't have an enemy. Help them. Feed them. Feed their hungriest people. Uh, it's It still sounds... Very, very strange to most people to to suggest that bombers would be better off fighting this war against the Islamic extremists by dropping books and bread rather than bombs, but that's a feeling that a lot of us have if the problem is rooted in fear and ignorance. And the fundamentalist Muslims like fundamentalist Christians and fundamentalist Jews are are lost in the Middle Ages someplace with extremely repressive laws and concepts and principles. It's not one religion or the other. It's the fundamentalist element of all the religions, those who know the least. About comparative religion and philosophy in general, those people who are having the most difficult time applying the teachings of that religion to their daily life and affairs, usually because they don't read the books. You know, the the Christian, the fundamentalist Christians that fear and therefore hate Muslims have never read the Koran. Easy to point out. The truth is. Most of them have never read the Christian Bible either, for that matter. And if they did, they just glossed over it and took the interpretation that was given to them by their particular branch. Again, what makes a Methodist not a Lutheran? Right? Or um, uh, so many variations and permutations within so-called mainstream Christianity, and then the, the You know the more fringe, uh, Jehovah Witnesses, the the Mormons. It's fascinating. I've always been fascinated by all of this, and how much of it is really fear-driven, and and supported by what people don't know. They may be deeply indoctrinated, indoctrined, indoctrinated into a particular religion, but that doesn't mean they've ever really read anything, right? or contrasted it with other information read it critically really digested it thought for themselves most people don't do that so they remain confused right and that means you stay frightened so the only way I know to really oppose fear and ignorance is with love and understanding and just as fear has a primary relationship with ignorance or confusion or a lack of awareness, things unknown so too then love has a primary relationship with understanding and just as fear and ignorance destroys and degrades and debilitates love and understanding heals and refines and improves it transforms and transmutes this is not only healing which Christ did, but the whole lead the gold idea, or in the in in the teachings of the Christ, it was water to wine, this transmutation, this uplifting, you know that you can by manipulating your consciousness, find inner peace, safety through relaxation, and as a result, a level of awareness that allows you to continue that process of love and understanding as a kind of an upward spiral that lifts you and, and and carries you up, up, and away <laughs> toward greater understanding and, and more peace and love. So here's the downward spiral, fear and ignorance. The antithesis is a, a gentle upward spiral, a staircase a stairway to heaven of love and understanding each promoting the other just as fear promotes ignorance right the scared the more the more afraid you are the more nervous and worried you are the more confused that's going to make you and confusion is a scary thing so <laughs> it goes around and round right and so the antithesis to love and understanding Deeds feeds itself in the same way. A peaceful, loving feeling promotes intelligence. And the likelihood you're going to understand the solutions to your problems. And your identity and your motives and what you're for and why you're here. And oh, I get it. (laughs) I see. And I didn't do it logically so much as intuitively using these altered states. By the way, I've done programs on the downward spiral and the upward spiral, the vicious cycle and the upward spiral, and we've talked about an interesting way of getting from one to the other that I'll just mention here, and that's the idea that there's two tracks to take us from the vicious cycle of fear and ignorance to the wonderful redeeming upward spiral of love and understanding and, Those two tracks are relaxation, to create the altered state, inner peace, relaxation, expanded awareness comes from that, relaxation. And the second track is responsibility. You have to take ownership of your life. You have to recognize that you're building your reality inside your head and your heart. You're assembling it. It's colored by your experience. You have a unique point of view, and you're supposed to have a unique point of view. Just take responsibility for it, okay? And if you can't take responsibility for what you've created, the situation you're in, then at least take responsibility for what you do next. The now what? As a, you know, we're perpetually standing on the verge of now what? In fact, this is the next part of today's presentation. Okay, Michael, but today's class is about fear and what are we really, really, really afraid of. What else can you tell me about fear? A lot of it is this feeling that we're at the precipice of now what? And that if we don't do something and do something fast, we're going to fall off the edge of the earth into nothingness, into annihilation, will cease to exist or something horrible will happen. I don't know, of course, exactly what, and that's the point of fear again. Alright. Then what's so damn frightening about it is that you just don't know one way or the other. If you if you knew the truth of danger it wouldn't be nearly as frightening. Okay. Well To go deeper now, beyond what we've already discussed, and what in the very depths of our being we're afraid of, I would argue that it's eternal damnation, if you will. Perpetual separation from our source. Said psychologically, rather than mystically, that nobody will love us that we won't find the love that we're looking for. That fear is ignorance and confusion I've made a good case for. Now I'd like you to consider that fear is the absence of love. If you think of love as light and warmth, you consider fear then as shadow. And that's a pretty common allegory, it's a pretty common metaphor. The the shadows that run from themselves in that cream tune white room, shadows are that's that's afraid when even the shadows are running from themselves, right? What is it? Beyond the fact, okay, you made your argument better for confusion and ignorance and things unknown and that all human problems are rooted in a vicious cycle or vicious cycles of fear and ignorance but go deeper it's a fear that we're never going to be loved again it's a spiritual separation anxiety consider that as spiritual beings incarnated into physical form we've been ripped from the bosom of oneness and thrown down into these separated bodies the birthing process alone about as painful and shocking and traumatic in most cases, as one can imagine, welcome to the physical world. Oh, here, silver nitrate for the eyes, bright lights. I know you've been in this nice, warm womb, it's liquid. Now you're coming into the cold air, and we're going to wrap you in a blanket and clean you up, but we're going to take you away from mom this is starting to change now hospitals are finally listening to the midwives and and the doctors are getting smarter about this and understanding the importance of allowing the baby to bond and birthing rooms are looking more like bedrooms and less like hospital rooms and there's lamaze and bouet and and even underwater birthing and uh, a lot of wonderful attempts to change the whole birthing process, but even at best, here here we are, spiritual beings, part of the ocean of one thing. Suddenly trapped. Uh, what did sting? What was the sting song? Soul cages. Trapped in these soul cages. And you say, sometimes I feel trapped. Yeah, you are. Now the good news is you go beyond the physical body, there's more of you than the consciousness contained in the separated body, but most of us aren't conscious of it, and when we are, we don't know exactly what to make of it. So-called out-of-body experiences or psychedelic experiences, for that matter, compounds found in nature, you know... peyote buttons, and the psilocybin in and mushrooms, and, and the fungus on rye, which is LSD, and these are naturally occurring compounds that blast the brain wide open, they kick out the jams and open up the stops, and whoa, suddenly there's far more reality than you've ever perceived, and it's all too much. As the Beatles say, "The love that's shining all around you I can't handle this much love. this is I'm just rushing right? You can feel it in your hair. If you know what I'm talking about, and this is a religious type of experience. This is a great epiphany. this is uh, cosmic consciousness." whether an organic, spontaneous, mystical experience or something induced chemically, they are related. I won't say they're the same, but their related experiences are more reality than we usually know in our waking day. There's more going on than just news, weather, and sports here. Nevertheless, The bulk of us, the the majority of us, feels trapped in this body. We identify with the body, of course. We identify with the physical form, with our intellect and our emotional nature to some extent, but primarily with the physical body, and we give it a name, and we create a character, You work on it through childhood, and as a teenager, you sort of pick and choose, and even as a young adult in your 20s and 30s, and well, most people throughout their lives are modifying their ego, their persona nature, their personality maturing, if nothing else, changing, growing, evolving, working with it, as if that personality or that role is who you are, and It's not, but that's the part that feels the fear. That's the part that feels alone and alienated. That's the part that identifies with the ego, the persona or the separated self, that is deeply afraid that it will not find love again, that it will never know that sweet embrace. And it longs for that. Roberto Sagioli has a beautiful quote where he compares the spiritual longing for divine love to be like that of a flower or a plant that reaches toward the sun as if to know its source. Reaching toward the sun, tracking it across the sky, wanting to know its source to go home again right? to find the portal or the soul the entry point that shares the ground of God To to get to that level of awareness not a place, not a destination not some other location physically but a destination only in terms of a level of awareness or a level of consciousness. It could be an antidote to this sadness, this depression, this longing for love. And a discovery that not only do you have the love you're looking for, drum roll, trumpet fanfare here, let's cue the trumpet fanfare. Not only do you have the love you're looking for, you are the love, you've been looking for. Turns out, love is not only more than an emotion, not only more than a feeling, it's the only thing that's real. Love is the only thing that's true. It is consciousness, and consciousness is love, and love and consciousness is truth and wisdom and peace the qualities of love emanate from this central reality it is said that divinity has a will a purpose or a plan but that primarily it exists as love love meaning again not just hugs and a sense of security that somebody cares about you or has your back, but love as the consciousness of life itself, an awareness of who you really are, and the richness of of how it feels you've had these transcendental experiences in your life, maybe it was the birth, maybe it was the birth of a baby that you witnessed, maybe it was a death or a passing. That changed you. Maybe it was a, a sunset. Uh, maybe it was a conversation and some intimacy you had with someone that you came to care about very much. Who knows? Life life can be exceedingly rich and wonderful in the strangest of places and the oddest of times. Even. Even where there is a tragedy and pain and suffering, there can be these transcendent epiphanies. You know, like, like death, for example, is a as a transformational experience that changes your life forevermore. If you've ever seen somebody die in a really noble and elegant way, it can just be this amazingly beautiful, beautiful thing. So, ripped from the bosom of oneness, we exist as souls in form, not because I say so, or because a religion says so. I'm simply representing to you as a journalist and a philosopher the ageless wisdom that is within and truly stands above all religions. And so here we have the more esoteric or arcane idea that fear of love is all there is love is real, the only reality fear is the absence the shadow of that love just as fear has a relationship with ignorance love has a relationship with understanding just as fear and ignorance will destroy you and is the essence of evil love and understanding will heal you and teach you and reveal to you and uplift you and refine you (laughs) Okay, make you better make you wiser allow you to see the bigger picture you see larger concepts where others or where you in the past had only seen conflict or division your ethics change your priorities shift your values adjust. As you move toward divinity, you become kinder and gentler and more loving. Right? Um, What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? Elvis Costello said, yeah. What's so damn funny about peace, love, and understanding? There's the antidote. There's the solution to every single problem you have. Politics doesn't solve problems. Economics doesn't solve problems. I could make an argument that science doesn't even solve problems. Consciousness gives birth to problems and redeems those problems. And in the process, we learn. We evolve. We unfold. We aspire to be better. We become our potential. We are... Realize, self-realized. And guess what? The fear starts to go away. The fear ups. Right? You still have your concerns. You're still careful here. You're more likely to recognize it as what you don't know or don't understand rather than simply blind, to unreasoning, fear you know Roosevelt the only thing we have to fear is fear itself and it was his wife Eleanor that said do the thing you fear and the death of fear is certain doesn't that make sense that we have to face our fear to get over it you have to go into it and through it and out the other side that the only way out is through that you gotta feel it to heal it The way toward love is through fear. The best parts of you are hidden where you're most afraid to look, so you must face the fear. Take a look directly at what you don't know and what you don't understand about yourself, particularly. Forget judging other people. You can empathize later. Know thyself and to thine own self be true. Start with the stuff that scares you. No point in reviewing the warm, fuzzy stuff that the positive feelings that you already know reflect what you do understand about yourself. There's plenty of time for that. Look at what needs the redeeming every once in a while. Look directly at what scares you. Go deeper and deeper into your fears. Look around every corner. And be the light. The light that you carry with you into the darkness is you. You A religious person would say, you know, Jesus is with me. Fine, take the Christos with you. Let that be your light. Or your Buddha nature, or your own oversoul, or your spirit guides, or your angels, or whatever works for you. But the good news, and the bottom line is there's nothing to be afraid of. Fear is always a nightmare. It's always a bad dream. And one of the greatest fears, the fear of death, is, again, frightening only because you don't know it. You don't understand it. Meditate. Keep meditating. You'll understand it. Keep meditating. You'll lose all of your fear, including the fear of death. Keep meditating. I don't care your process or how you meditate or, or how long it takes you to feel like or, you're really doing it now or what teacher you get. or, uh, buy, Go buy ten books on meditation and read them all, right? Buy a book with ten different meditations in it. Be an expert. Don't have to find the one right way, study them all, but shift your awareness with breath and deep relaxation. Expand your awareness. You get an elevated point of view, a higher understanding, a bigger picture. As you understand, all of your fears and anxieties will be transformed to love and peace and light. You begin to understand yourself. Again, the understanding that we're looking for to redeem the ignorance and the fear is primarily about you. It's self-centered, but not the egoic self, but the higher self, which is not separated spiritually. The higher self is really not a self at all but a term that we'll use for the perspective you have as a so-called soul you see and then you can very quickly through a process of study and meditation and mindfulness go from a human being trapped in a soul cage frightened and confused seeking to understand yourself spiritually to a soul-infused personality that appropriates the ego like a big brother and takes care of this little guy because he's the source of all of your fear. (laughs) Uh, It's the ego trying to keep you alive. It's this id, animal uh, uh, survival First and second chakra stuff that that the ego is responsible for. There's there's much in Buddhism about killing the ego. I'm not sure you have to kill it uh, or even abandon it. Maybe bring it along, but just don't let it drive. The ego's jo- <laughs> the ego's job is to ride shotgun, to get you back, to to watch out, you know in case there ever is any real danger or even the appearance of danger then the ego will jump in there automatically, autonomically and the adrenal glands will start pumping and you'll get all stressed but don't let it drive the car that'll be its constant agenda the higher self has to be in charge of where we're going which is forward and upward toward love and toward understanding the only thing that is true and and real and eternal and infinite love that's what mysticism is and so ultimately what are you really really afraid of losing love believing because we are creatures in form that we have to hook up with somebody else to get love from them to hold hands, to get a hug, to kiss to make love, to embrace then to share emotional intimacy and pillow talk to work out your problems together to create a family to be a team the wonderful thing to express that love then in relationship to sense that merging but this is more than emotional love this is more than just some Uh, chemical affinity this is more than the mating habits of human beings it's the essence of reality It's again according to the mystical traditions of all societies and all cultures and all times on this planet there is this consensus this golden thread that ultimately love is the only truth and uh the only reality that love is everything it's everywhere equally present all that is true is love and anything that is not love is not true it's ignorance and confusion it lives in the shadows is fear and ultimately there's nothing to fear you say well i'm not going to walk down the dark alley late at night uh well, okay. <laughs> Nobody said you had to. All right? But fear is not your friend. Fear is not a way to be safe. Uh, to feel safe is a way to be aware. You, if you had to walk down that dark alley late at night, fear is not your friend. Awareness, understanding. Yes, love is your friend. It doesn't mean that if some bad guy jumps out to rob you that you're going to give him hugs and kisses but love is a consciousness that will change that whole situation and amazing things happen There, human literature is full of all kinds of amazing encounters that humans have with each other or even humans have with animals where just a little bit of love as understanding, changed the whole situation from what looked very dangerous and very adversarial and very frightening and changed it all. This is one of the basic differences between Western boxing and uh, from the East, the martial arts, is boxers see themselves as two opposing forces. Masters of the martial arts understand themselves as part of one whole organic process. And I'm not saying boxers don't respect each other, they do. But it's a very different, uh, uh, it's like two cowboys in the street at high noon, you know, squaring off uh, with no self-defense, just guns. They have no defense. All they can do is try to kill the other guy. And they have to stand out there. They can't hide behind anything. (laughs) And uh, the martial arts has a whole different sense of that, where uh, it's okay to get off your position. It's okay to let your opponent drag you around. What you want to do is maintain your center and, and stay balanced and and aware of this dance that you do with your opponent as part of this one whole thing. The Western mind generally doesn't account for that or allow for that. We're learning. We're learning. This is where teaching the East about our technology. They're teaching us about their expanded views of philosophy. It's very interesting. East meets West exchange happening right now culture and technology in the world alright so uh, that's pretty much it for what are you really really afraid of and um, you're afraid there's no love or not enough love that uh, the rest of it is just confusion and things unknown and the antidote is love and understanding remember those two spirals Uh, let's go to the um, the questions and comments part of this now you can if you're on the web use the text box if uh, uh that disappeared it should be on the left side uh, there's a button that says ask a question it will bring it up enter your name in the city where you are and be sure to hit submit after you type in your question or your comment if you're on the telephone with us or if you want to go to the telephone the uh, telephone numbers are listed there on the website and there's even a link that says other numbers if you want to find a local area code so it's not a toll call there's even a link on the web page in front of you right now uh, where you can check that out and then once you're hooked up with the conference ID call the number, enter the conference ID star 2 will raise your hand if you'd like to talk to me I can unmute you one at a time so uh, Let's see, what are you really afraid of? Let's go to my questions and check in the attendance here. Every once in a while I like to click the button and see how many people we have. And so let's go to the text questions first. Well, here we go. Nothing came up. Here we go. Uh, Canoga Park, Phil Jaffe in Southern California. um, He's talking about the problem that he had with Zorap. That's the website we use for the Thursday night video conference, Z-O-R-A-P. It is a little tricky, and all of us that Go to the Thursday night video conference, have stories to tell about Zorap.com. It's Z like Z-O-R-A-P dot com. What you do is you register there. You get a password so that in the future when you come back, you can log in. And there's a little browser plug-in that you have to download and install, but it's real straightforward and easy. Um... The idea is you just do that once, although they keep changing ZorApp, so we've we've had to update a couple of times. But once you get that little plug-in, it's sort of like a Java plug-in, into your web browser, then you come back to zorapp.com slash and turn on your webcam, open up your microphone, ideally put on a pair of uh, headphones or just keep the volume real low, and starting at 7.30 West Coast time Thursdays, we do this video conference, and it's pretty cool. We can handle up to 50. We've never had that many join us live, um, and I'm not sure how we would handle uh, that. It's uh, If you have a dozen or so, it's pretty easy. People just shout out. We'd have to have some better organization, but in any event, it's fun. And so Phil's just telling me he's working through that. Uh, Let's see. Oh, Yvonne is with us, speaking of the Thursday night video conference. Yvonne just says hello. And hello, aloha back at you there, Yvonne. Carol Pastel says hello. Carol's in La Habra. Hello, Carol. Aloha. Lorelei Hatch in Tucson. He says, Michael, uh, "Michael, thanks for all that you do. Listening to you is like oxygen in my body. <laughs> Very nice. Your shows are always enlightening, and uh, they get me centered. Uh, the hard part is keeping my keeping myself yeah keeping myself centered because I'm so consumed with work. I start losing focus with everything in my life, and I start to retreat and i am concerned that I'm going to lose it all together." Listen to you, and then all's better. Good. Well, keep listening. You know, um, let's see. Uh, how do you say that? Oh, yeah. Keeping yourself centered. Hard part is keeping myself centered because I'm so consumed with work. That's the best way, of course, to go to work. You know, it's not like I have to give up my balance and being centered, uh, being aware and relaxed and in charge of my life when I go to work. And then I have to regain it when I get home. Ideally, you want, of course, to have that composure with you all the time, uh, to be awake enough that you can breathe into uh, any job, any situation. Um, We should talk about that sometime. I mean, how do we remain centered at work or when we're really stressed on the job? A couple of things, you know. If you just remember to breathe, remember to relax throughout the day. Keep waking yourself up to how wonderful people really are, and how much you love life. Okay. And again, it's sort of like, in in many ways, the instructions on the shampoo bottle. The, you know, say lather, rinse, repeat. you it's the way it is with consciousness you have to keep waking yourself up because your thoughts put you to sleep your thoughts drag you off into this altered reality where you are these thoughts and you're so consumed I don't mean you or I, I mean all of us every single one of us become hypnotized by our thinking process and then it gets even more compounded as we go through the ebb and flow of our emotional nature, to wake up from that and say, wait a minute, this is a thought stream in front of me. (laughs) I can take a step back and let go of these thoughts. I I don't have to be fixated on this thought stream or obsessed on my thoughts. I don't have to follow every one of these conversations to see where it's going. I can crawl up on the bank and watch the stream go by. You might have to do that 30 times a day or even 30 times an hour initially, but then it gets easier and easier. Robert Fiegel in Irvine says, Aloha, Michael, Uh, excellent topic. He said, I always overanalyze every situation to the point of becoming sometimes immobilized. Yeah, we call that paralysis by analysis, Robert. Smart people do that. He says, I now realize that uh, this indecision is rooted in fear and doubt. Thanks for the enlightening class. Have a magical week of peace. Thank you, Robert. You too. Kate's with us again from London. Good evening, Kate, in London. She says, Why is other people's malice so frightening? Well, I think um, that's a nice uh, direct question. I think that speaks probably to the fact that we're concerned that they might become violent, that uh, we've seen people become violent before. Um, Our governments behave in violent ways. They even train people to kill, dress them up in uniforms and parade them around for being really good at killing people. Um, Sports, uh, about the only kind, war in sports is about the only kind of violence that's legal. Almost every other kind of violence is illegal Uh, even threatening violence is illegal and uh, it's scary so if you see people who are angry or malice it suggests to me people who are just nasty they're just mean they're just you know out to get you Uh, i think the fear is they're gonna hurt us and uh, the antidote of course and it's not easy it takes some time might take a couple of minutes, might take a few hours, might take a few days is to have compassion for the nasty person Um, they know not what they do they don't understand, they don't get it and if it becomes abusive, well at some point you have to ask yourself do I really want to hang around with this person, why am I hanging around with this person Um, maybe you work with them or maybe they're in your family and you don't have a choice Um, you just might want to avoid them (laughs) to to the best of your ability but to the extent you're unable to avoid them and you have to deal with people that that, uh, don't like you they're angry at you they hate you they're out to get you or whatever breathe and relax and have compassion for them because their suffering is far beyond uh, what they could put you through. At the end of the day, they have to be them, right? Uh, that, that karma that they generate, all that nastiness that they spew, uh, they have to live in the midst of that. And and they have to experience that karma. That's what's going to blossom in their garden, not as punishment. The universe doesn't punish, of course, with karma. It just tries to gently teach. But um, life will fix it. We we don't have to fix other people. Life will fix them in time. There's a quote by I believe uh, Seneca, the Roman sage and he talks about people who deliberately go about the business of growing themselves versus those that have no interest in growing themselves but only taking advantage of other people. And uh, the saying is something like, for those who will, the fates lead. For those who will the fates lead. For those who will not, the fates drag. So set some goals. You want to grow, fine. Life will support you. It'll be a wind at your back. If you dig in your heels and refuse to grow, life will grow you anyway. It will generate for you problems and challenges, adversity, difficulties that force you the fates will drag you if you refuse to grow because that's the imperative. Life is growth. You, you don't get, to, none of us gets to be stagnant, at least not for very long. We will uh, grow. So thank you for that, Kate. And thanks for checking in from London. That's such a kick. We have a dear friend who lives in um, south of London and. area uh, who's uh, coming to stay uh, nearby here in upcountry Maui for a few months so we're really looking forward to that. We've been to her place in, uh, down in Arendelle several times. would be good to have her here. She calls in sometimes on this class. Judy Craft is with us today from Arcadia. Hi Judy. She says, great class Michael, thanks for being Uh, detail minded on the subject lots of love to you and Doreen, take care in West LA, Eric says uh, feeling more awake and with more love each day with my growing understanding of myself thank you so much for your love that you share so freely Uh, really has been a helpful source for quite a long time well thank you Eric, good, I love hearing that down an Oceanside, Roberto's with us and says, wow, powerful stuff. So our challenge from day to day or even moment to moment is to remember this fundamental truth that love is the answer. I think this is our job here. Thanks, yeah. Love is the answer. Love is the only question. It's <laughs> It's not only an answer, it's the question. It's the only thing that's real. Uh, also in los angeles virginia says hello aloha another good show michael thank you and uh kate from london again just saying cheers and that uh that helps good i'm glad it does so let me check the telephones and see if we have anybody with a hand up i don't see any hands raised we do have some people on the phone and uh thanks for checking in that way Let's do our uh, guided imagery process. So I want you to get comfortable. We'll take about 10 minutes to do this and then wrap it up. I I want you to sit comfortably. Again, uh, I usually say to sit straight up, to sit straight, to sit erect, but not rigid. You're not a two-by-four. So if you want to lean back, we're Westerners. (laughs) you can lean back let the chair support you and uh, I mean really now as you close your eyes and turn your awareness to how it feels to have that chair supporting you let's right at the top do something remarkable pause long enough to feel the chair supporting you How does it feel to completely relax in that chair? And know that is, it, it, it is substantial. It is strong. It's reliable. It's not going to drop you. It's a nice chair. Or maybe you're on a sofa or a a cushion, a pillow of some sort. In any event, get a sense of being balanced with your shoulders back and your head up. Do a couple of shoulder shrugs and head rolls to get loose. And feeling nicely balanced as if your spine is perfectly aligned. And every little vertebrae and disc is going, Bip, zip, 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 falling right into perfect alignment. And that whole spine and brain is a path of least resistance. The dimmer is wide open now. Maximum juice flowing through. No kinks in the garden hose. Wonderfully aligned. A path of least resistance. Think of yourself as rooted into the earth as if you were sitting upon the dirt itself even though you're on a chair or a cushion you can imagine being rooted to the earth like a tree or a bush you can imagine even a bundle of wires like a cable from the base of your spine that grounds you to the earth feel grounded and plugged in and at the top of your head Imagine a connection to the sky, to spirit. A receptivity to a downward precipitation of spirit. A gentle divine impress of love and light. Available to you as a an energy, a raw material out of which we can make things. And this love and this light is consciousness. It is awareness. It allows you to see and understand. It also heals. It improves. It grows things. It raises the frequency. It refines. It transmutes and transforms. And like a battery, you're sort of plugged into both poles, aren't you? Receptive at the top of your head, at the crown chakra, to the world of spirit and causative at the base of the spine, rooted into the ground. And you're the middle element between sky and earth, between spirit and matter, between the father aspect and the mother aspect. You're the middle, you're the heart and the soul, you're the battery, hooked in both polarities to a life force that fills you. Take another slow, deep breath, pulling in strength and power as you inhale and Oh, that wonderful sigh of relief ah, as you exhale. And then go back to natural breathing again. Anytime you'd like to add another nice, big, slow, deep breath to the mix, you can do that. You could even do two or three in a row. to practice really slowing your breathing down and feeling even safer and more relaxed. And as you sit upon the earth via this chair, this pillow, Receptive to the downward impress of love as consciousness itself, imagine every area inside your body being filled with the light of this spirit this this energy, this chi or ki or kundalini or prana or elan vital, this holy spirit this energy, this odic force this mojo, there's lots of names for it imagine your batteries being charged with the energy that illumines and animates you Every little nook and cranny, every cell, every corpuscle, every bit of tissue within your body is imbued with this energy that is life itself. Electromagnetic in nature. It attracts light like attracts like you reap what you sow consciousness as love love as consciousness is magnetic you adjust the frequency with your intention knowing that your consciousness will attract circumstances opportunities relationships even physical objects as well as opportunities that are in keeping with your intention so keep it a good intention a pure intention where everybody gets to win release your cynicism release the negativity that may remain. Let go of anything that is not love and light and create and refine and manifest your life always for the greatest good of the greatest number, for the greatest good of all concerned. part of being unconditional in your love for there is no such thing as conditional love unconditional love is actually a a bit redundant for love that comes with conditions is not love it's deal making it's not letting go as love is letting go it's holding on at least in part it's got a string attached so it's not love three quarters love is not love seven eighths love is not love 95% love is not love love is unconditional what comes from the heart goes to the heart what comes from the heart is received by the heart, regardless. Know that your fear is always things unknown and confusing. That what you don't know and don't understand. That supports your fear is centered around your identity and your motive who you are and your reason for being so make it personal it's what you don't understand about yourself and who you really are what you're really truly for you need to understand to let go of the fear and then the deepest level the idea that you've been separated from your source know this to be merely an appearance that even if the drop is removed from the ocean the ocean remains in the drop perhaps we are drops that it find ourselves condensing as a cloud or inside a tree being pumped into the highest branches to nourish the tree maybe we're a river, maybe we're trapped in a glacier or a high mountain lake but we are of the ocean and we will return to the ocean and in the interim we are the ocean. You can take the drop from the ocean, but you can't take the ocean out of the drop. It's our nature. We can come into form and appear to be separate and even feel alienated and lonely. And our deepest fear is that we're never going to connect again. We're never going to be loved or loving or or really know lovability. We're never going to feel safe or relaxed. it's a fear, it's a lie it's an appearance when you can prove it to yourself with study, with meditation, with mindfulness a practice that brings you as light into the darkness that brings love into the fear understanding into the confusion that redeems and reveals be the love you are in fact the love you've been looking for not only do you have it it's not a possession it's an identity that's what you are is that love and see if you can sit easy with that can you luxuriate in the idea that you exist as an organized matrix of energy that feels like love. And the more you understand that energy, the more love there will be for you to wield in your life, bringing heaven to earth and creating a place of peace and prosperity, a kingdom on earth. simply commit yourself to that commit yourself to wanting to understand it better and better decide now that you can master fear that you can become fearless free from fear That you can get to a place in life where you've pretty much been through all the fear life could possibly throw at you, and there's not much more that life could use to scare you with, but everybody's life has tragedy and everybody has broken hearts these things cannot be avoided and are not to be avoided given our nature to become hard hearted how else would that heart grow except to break once in a while And then as it heals to have a greater capacity and if broken again, when it heals, a still greater capacity to love. That's what broken hearts do. And so feel this love emanating from you, radiating in all directions, as light, as warmth, as wisdom, as truth, as reality. Reality. And bring this sense of radiance with you. That life is coming through you and out into the world. Much of our daily lives, we're feeling like targets or victims of a life that comes at us. I want you to bring back now into the waking state. And initiate a feeling that life is emanating from you and that you are initiating that life. Always in service, the greatest good for the greatest number. Always transforming, ignorance to understanding, fear to love, growing, healing, learning, unfolding, evolving. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, filling your lungs. Hold as you peek for just a moment. Sense the fullness and slowly now begin to exhale, listening to my voice. Open your eyes now. Wide awake, alert, refreshed, rested, back in the room, feeling even better than before. Boy, it matters, doesn't it? It really works, especially group Meditations. So I can really, really feel the difference. So, Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks very much for being with us today. Remember, this is available as a podcast. If you want to share it with uh, a friend, the streaming audio is already up at com. Two minutes after I pull the plug, it'll be posted. Then the podcast, which we edit a little bit, we compress and normalize, put a little music behind it, That feed will come out in a couple of days, usually on Tuesday morning. You can pick it up at my website, theagelesswisdom.com. You can pick it up at the iTunes store or at any of the major podcast directories. Absolutely free. We also have a special 10-program sample of our premium audio program that is being podcast now, and you can pick it up for free. It's called empower yourself in paradise as you probably know our premium audio program the show steve snyder my business partner and i do together is called finding yourself in paradise it's 99 cents a week at subscription rates three dollars and 96 cents a month and for a long time we've had this free account where you could get sample programs we decided just to take 10 of our favorites and podcast them for you so that's free you can pick that up and power yourself in paradise or just type my name or Steve Snyder into the search box at the iTunes store or any of the other major podcast directories like podcast.com or podfeed.net or podcast alley um podcast (laughs) pickle there's a whole bunch of them and uh So then you can sample the premium audio, and if you like it, for less than $4 a month, you can subscribe. We have a backlog and archive of about 140 programs that are $0.99 each. Currently, they're only $0.99 as well. The subscription price is going to stay $0.99 if you subscribe, when you subscribe monthly. The individual program prices are going to go up pretty soon, so... I'm not going to say exactly when, but by subscription, $0.99 price is going to stay in effect, $3.96 a month, and you can forward them to your friends. That's all at FocusedPassion.com. Remember the ED, the W's.FocusedPassion.com for the premium audio program, Studio Quality with Steve and I together compelling conversations and guided meditations if you like this show you'll love the premium program for 99 cents go over and do that right now or at least get the podcast of the 10 sample programs empower yourself in paradise at any of the uh, usual podcast directories okay also want to invite you to join our social net theagelesswisdom dot ning dot com this is also free the uh, uh, the best way to describe it I guess is that uh, the Ageless Wisdom social net is like Facebook for people into metaphysics and mysticism and and this type of uh, personal and spiritual growth Um, it's similar to my website which is theagelesswisdom.com just add the N-I-N-G, the Ning in front of the com to get to the social net, that's wisdom dot Ning dot com. Uh, sign up, sign in, and uh, poke around and get to know the place. Uh, customize the appearance of your profile and your home page, and uh, post some JPEGs, some videos, message some other people. Remember, everybody there shares your interest in metaphysics and mysticism, so feel free to. Uh, No strangers, you know. Feel free to shout out to anybody. Start a discussion thread and uh, check that site as well. We've got all kinds of cool stuff, plus the Maui retreat in February. Uh, Steve and I have just begun to work on the details. Uh, It's going to be the second week of February, a five-day intensive Right here in Paradise on 70, it's it's amazing. It's going to be on 70 private acres, lush uh, rainforest, right on the ocean, overlooking the Pacific, right on the ocean. This beautiful bench with this giant lawn and surrounded by rainforest, 70 acres, orchards and gardens and tropical fruits and flowers and. And some wonderful workshops, play shops, really, that are going to introduce you to levels of inner peace and awareness that will reveal yourself in this natural paradise setting. You'll truly be finding yourself in paradise. And we'll have details for you in, uh, I'd say, a week or ten days. But you can save the date if it sounds like something you want to do. It's going to be life-changing. And it's all outdoors we're going to provide you just bring a a sleeping bag or a a, a blanket or something everybody will have an air bed hot showers uh indoor uh, uh uh restroom facilities catered meals three meals a day all included um uh, plus the training and the waterfalls and the rainbows and the whales and it's going to be spectacular so second week of february next year, 2011. We may also do a resort retreat, but by you know their very nature, they have to be a lot more expensive. And so we thought we'd try this. Limited to 20 people. I don't think we're going to... 15 to 20 is what we're shooting for. So if you want more information on that, email me, mb at com. mb at theagelesswisdom.com dot or you can leave me a message. You know I've got a phone too, twenty four seven, any old time voicemail eight one eight. It's in Los Angeles, eight one eight five six nine three zero one seven. Okay, call anytime twenty four seven, and I, if you can't wait to get the details, call me. I'll I'll get back to you. I'll have somebody call you. Leave me a message. Anytime 24 7 at 818 569 3017. 3017. 818 569 3017. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.